0: Our study today is entitled "Rule with Wisdom." Rule with wisdom. How many of you want to be wise? Yeah. How many of you wish you made more wise decisions? Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I made a lot of foolish decisions in my life. You know, and and hopefully we learn from those those situations. But where does true wisdom really come from? We're going to be studying a little bit from 1 Kings and from chapters 1 to 11. This is the story of Solomon. Now, we're picking up where we left off from the story of King David. Now, we know that Solomon is the son of King David. And he was the next king to rise up for Israel. And let we look at 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2 in our first session. It's called Wisdom to Rule. Now, we're not going to be reading through the whole passage. It's quite long, 11 chapters. I would encourage you to go home and study this again on your own as you read through the Scripture. But we're going to be looking at the first two chapters of well. And here we see that King David, he's about 70 years old at this point. He's ruled over Israel for 40 years. Seven years in Hebron and then 33 years in Jerusalem. And we know that he's suffering from poor blood circulation. The Bible tells us that his body was starting to grow cold. And he had to employ somebody to keep him warm with their body warmth. And so one woman was brought in and helped King David with that. And it was not a sexual relationship. She remained pure. Her sole purpose was to nurse him and taking care of his cold body, keeping him warm. Now, here David is seven years old. He's on his deathbed pretty much. And he's making arrangements to pass the throne on to the next king. Now there are other sons and other relatives that felt they had a right to become the next king of Israel. So there was a lot of drama at this point. Oh no, King David is ill. Who's going to be the next king? Now you remember that David had a son with Bathsheba. Remember Bathsheba? And this was after they were married. God gave them the son, and they named him Solomon. Okay, so Solomon is the the child that lived, okay, for David and Bathsheba. And David had promised Bathsheba before that Solomon will be the next one to take the throne after me. So Bathsheba starts hearing all these things, all these other people plotting things, and they're saying, I'm actually the next king. King David doesn't know this yet. Why don't you tell King David that you heard that I'm the next king? And after you tell him, I'll come in and confirm it for you. So they're ploying, you know, they're trying to to figure out how are we going to get our our rule, how are we going to change this kingdom and steal it from Solomon. Now David remembered his promise to Bathsheba, and he called for Bathsheba to come in. And then he he started to make arrangements to make sure that Solomon would be the next one to the throne. While this is happening, just like an old man on his deathbed, he wants to pass down some words of encouragement, some words of wisdom, you know, the last plans. So David charges Solomon to remain faithful to the commands of the covenant and to give allegiance to the God of Israel. Now these are the same sort of words that um, Moses gave when he handed over to Joshua, right? And every time the nation of Israel was handed over to the next ruler, you know, this was the word, the command that was given. Even Samuel, remember when they chose kings instead of the prophets or the judges? Samuel said the same thing, remain faithful to the commands of the covenant, okay? And worship only the God of Israel. Give your allegiance to God of Israel. And immediately after, he gives this very inspiring and encouraging word to his young son. Immediately after David and Solomon, they start conspiring about how they're going to build up this kingdom. And there was a series of political assassinations that needed to happen. We're going to kill off Jonah, we're going to kill off these guys. Make sure that there is no way that they're going to compromise the kingdom that's handed into your hands. It's kind of weird, right? Here David is, stay faithful to the commands of the covenant. And then those are just hollow words. Because the next thing is, let's make sure nobody else takes it from you. And they start killing people off. Right? When it takes, it, it takes wisdom to rule. You don't want to be under the rule of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Who makes poor decisions. Okay. We're experiencing some of that in our more recent political parties, right? Whenever they're in power, then we don't like the way that they're making their decisions. Where's the wisdom? It's just political maneuvering. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 to 3. Now we know that God created all things, right? And then on the sixth day, God creates mankind. And He charges mankind and tells them, listen, you are going to have dominion over all the rest of creation. You are going to rule, male and female, you will rule together over all that I have created. He gives them rule over all creation, as kings and queens of creation. But in order to rule, you need what? Wisdom. You need wisdom to rule. The humans are given a choice of how to gain this wisdom. Okay? They, they could either live by God's wisdom and follow what God tells them to do and how to live, or they could be wise in their own eyes. What do you think they chose? They were wise in their own eyes, let's see. The humans choose to take the knowledge of good and evil into their own hands, quite literally in their disobedience to God, instead of, God said, don't eat from this tree. By taking that fruit, they're like, what does God know? Hold on, I could be like God. Hold on, I could know what God knows. Let me just take this into my own hands. And they eat the fruit. Immediately after that happens, the intimacy between man and woman is broken. We're told in the Bible that they were naked and they were ashamed. So what did they do? They hid their bodies. The intimacy between the two of them is broken. And not just between the two of them, the intimacy with God is broken as well. They hide their bodies and then they hide from God. Why? Because they chose to be wise in their own eyes. Okay? Their choice leads them to division and eventually to their death. Now, this story we refer to a lot, okay? We always go back to Genesis. We always talk about Adam and Eve at this this point in time, but there's hope at the end of the story, because God tells Eve that, you know, one of your descendants, long from now, there's going to be a human that will rise up, and he will make the right choice to obey God's wisdom, okay? So at the beginning, just two choices. You could choose to live by God's wisdom or choose to be wise in your own eyes. So let's go back to a Solomon here. In chapter 3. This is where we hear Solomon is rising up and he comes to... He's now king, okay? Their plans are laid out. He's now king. And he is a wise king, we are told. The Bible says that Solomon worships God in the high places, because there was no place for them to worship God yet. There was no house for the name of the Lord, okay? So they used to go to these high places, or the mountain places, and worship Him there where the altars were. Now, after the temple was built, the worship on the high places was forbidden. They, stopped, they said, stop worshiping God on the high places, worship Him at the temple. Okay. There was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Do you remember his father David? Let me study this. His father David wanted to build a house for the Lord in Jerusalem. Remember? He wanted to have a, a permanent home because God gave them a permanent home in Jerusalem. He wanted to give God a permanent home the form of a temple. Before that, it was a tabernacle. A holy tent that they would build and put out and and they'd travel with it. The Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was, would travel with the tent. But David wanted to build this so that the Ark of the Covenant could be kept there in the permanent home in Jerusalem, so that the presence of God would dwell with His people. And while his intentions were so good, God said to David, No, you, you won't be the one to build this temple for me. He has Solomon built the temple. Okay? So when we go into chapter four, in chapter three, sorry, as Solomon is worshiping God, God reveals himself to Solomon in a dream. Now God has done this many times in the Bible. An angel will come to somebody in the Bible, right? And God reveals a message to them in a dream. Okay? And in the dream, God says to him, what you wish me to give you. Ask me what you want, whatever you want me to give you. Now here's Solomon is, he's a young guy. He's not even 20 yet. He's, he's a teenager, a teenager sitting on the throne after his father's 40 year rule on the throne and he's the next king of Israel. He doesn't know what to do. So he's feeling inadequate. He's feeling inexperienced. He's unprepared to rule. So he asks God for the knowledge to know good from evil so he could rule with true wisdom. The knowledge to know good from evil. Now, when we go back to the garden, what was the tree that Adam and Eve ate from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took that into their own hands. But when God said, what do you want from me? Solomon says, I want to have a knowledge of good from evil so that I will know how to rule wisely. He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And this pleased the Lord. Why? This pleased the Lord because he went to God asking for his wisdom. Adam and Eve took the wisdom in their own eyes. But Solomon went and he sought out God for the wisdom. Okay? And this pleased the Lord so much. We're told in Scripture that God gave all the wisdom to Solomon and he was the wisest man on earth. Okay? That's a good ruler. You'd want a ruler to be the wisest man on earth, ruler over your people. But just because you say, well, I have wisdom from God, God wants to portray this to all the people that were there. They wanted people to know for certain that it's God's wisdom that Solomon was ruling with. So there's a, a little story here. Two harlots. Two harlots come to King Solomon with a dispute over a child. They each gave birth to a baby boy. Unfortunately, one of the baby boys died. They both claim that the living boy is theirs. So imagine two harlots coming in, and there's a young baby between them, and they're fighting over this child. What are they saying to each other? They bicker and they argue back and forth in the presence of the king. The king said, well, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive and you're sitting there as king. How do we handle this dispute? You know, I don't think they they had all those genetic testing things and ancestry.ca and blood tests and things like that at this time, you know. And they they wanted some of this immediate um, decision to be made. So King Solomon in his wisdom, what does he do? The king said, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. Then he gave an order. Cut the living child into two pieces and give it half to each woman. Now, Solomon's supposed to be the wisest ruler. And you're sitting there, and you know there's a life at stake here. It's, it's somebody's child. And he's saying, bring me a sword, cut the child in half. What? And sometimes you know we, we might not agree with the way that god does things because we don't understand what god's doing sometimes or it's contrary to our human understanding and the way we think right the bible says don't lean on your own understanding but trust in god right trust god's wisdom trust his will so when god does things it might not make sense in our human understanding because God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. That's what the Bible tells us. Right? So while we might not understand, look at what happens here. The true mother was deeply moved out of love for her son and cried out, Please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. The other woman said, ha, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut that child in <laughs> half. Not that Solomon actually wanted to cut the child. Okay, but he made a call in order to reveal a truth. The loving mother would not allow her child to go to death. The loving mother wants to save her child. And I thought this was beautiful. In the same way that God does not want to see his children die, he sacrifices the right so that the child could still have hope of life. We wonder, why did God allow us to be born into this world full of sin? If he knew that we were going to sin, why would he allow this to happen? What kind of cruel God is that? His ways are higher than our ways. And God would rather see us live and give us hope for life. We wonder, when Adam and Eve ate the apple or the fruit, why didn't they die right away? Because there was still time, God is merciful and he gives time so that we can find our way back to him. Okay. God's judgment is fair. So King Solomon in his wisdom helps us understand a little bit more about how God is wise in his rule and his reign over our lives. Okay. Then the king gave his ruling, give the baby to the first woman. Do not kill him, she is his mother. All of Israel heard about what happened. They heard about it and even it went to the far reaches and kings of other lands heard about the wisdom of Solomon and he was known as this wise king that they would send their own people to Solomon for his wisdom and his rulership. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore, First Kings 4.29, verse 34. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world to have heard of his wisdom. So that's chapters three and four. Chapters five to eight, the story kind of stops. and okay, the story kind of stops. And for these three chapters, what we see is God giving Solomon a very detailed design. He's giving him the blueprints for the temple, much like there were those blueprints that God gave when they were building the tabernacle. And these chapters describe the design of the temple, and it's such an elaborate, elaborate design. Yet the temple is filled with gold and precious jewels, and depictions of angels and fruit trees. Why fruit trees? It's all symbolism echoing back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve walked with God. The presence of God was in that place with Adam and Eve. So wouldn't it be suitable that the presence of God amongst His people in His temple that goes back to that place, the garden, where God is amongst his people. It's this place where heaven and earth meet, where God's presence dwells with his people. So Solomon follows all the rules. He follows everything that God told him to do. Wise thing to do, right? If God says, Listen, I want. 44 cubits of this material, and Solomon... Okay, I'm going to give 44 cubits. I'm not going to cheat God. I'm going to do it exactly the way God says. So the temple is built perfectly to the specs that God gave it. okay? But no sooner than the temple is built, we see that Solomon starts to make these horrible choices, okay? He just built the beautiful temple for God and the presence of God to dwell with His people. And you know what he's doing next? He's starting to marry people for political positioning. Okay, so he marries the daughters of other kings. And as these daughters come, you know, he starts to get introduced to their gods, their pagan gods. And Solomon ends up introducing the worship of these gods to Israel. Hold on. God's permanent house in Jerusalem amongst his people, Solomon living in obedience, the wisest man. And then God, the Bible tells us that God gave Solomon wealth and prosperity, and he gave him everything that a king would need to rule. Although he only asked for wisdom, God gave him so much more. Okay? (coughs) How many of us could kind of relate that when you're in lack and need, you seek out God. Where else would you turn? And when God finally delivers and you're walking with him, and life is starting to go well for you, you start to make some really stupid decisions. Don't tell me how you know why. God gives you grace, and you discover how wonderful He is and then you turn around and you make some poor decisions. You cheat on him, you turn your back on him. This is what Solomon was doing. He started to worship other gods. You see that Solomon breaks all of God's guidelines for the kings of Israel. You can read about those guidelines in Deuteronomy 17. And by the end of Solomon's life, he starts to resemble Pharaoh more than he does his father, David, the man after God's own heart. Remember, Pharaoh, the kings of Egypt, with all their wealth, all their grandeur, everything on display, everything anybody in the world could ever want and imagine, Solomon was adorned with beautiful clothes, gold all around him, wealth, prosperity. He even got into the slave, slave labor. He had a huge army. I mean, that's pretty much most of what we know about the life of Solomon. What was he known for? He's the wise king. Okay, why? Because he asked for wisdom. Because he wanted God's wisdom. That's it. Did he do anything spectacular? Well, when he was obeying God, people learned to trust in his leadership. And then you see his kingdom come. You see his kingdom fall. I don't know about you. Maybe you felt inadequate and broken, struggling with your sin. Maybe you felt hopeless and there was no purpose in your life. And then you come and you're seeking for truth. You're seeking for purpose. And then you come across the gospel. You you come across the story of Jesus. And you come across knowing more about God's love. You hear about it. And it gives you a glimmer of hope. So you, you check it out a little bit more. Because it's better than anything else that you're dealing with right now. You know, when you finally step into this life with God and you're starting to get to know Him. You're feeling that peace of mind. You're feeling that love and that security. You're starting to find your identity in who Christ is. You're starting to understand what it looks like to have God leading you in your life. And then all of a sudden, bad decision, bad decision, bad decision. We all wake up every morning with a choice before us. We all wake up every morning before this fruit tree. And there you have a choice, friends. If you're going to trust and follow God's wisdom, Or if you're going to try to live your life wise in your own eyes, we all have that decision to make every morning. No matter what bad decisions you make, God's favor was still with Solomon. You know, he was still the appointed ruler over his people. But after Solomon's life, the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel just crumbled. King after king after king. It's like a really bad soap opera you just see everybody's life falling apart. One thing I appreciate more than the story about Solomon's life were his teachings. Alright? Because he was wise, his teachings went on, and they were so rich, and he started to fill the people with with life lessons to learn from, and there's three books in the Bible that are attributed to the teachings of Solomon. And we're going to be looking closely at these books. You have the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Psalms, okay? So in Proverbs, as a kid, I used to love to read Proverbs. You know why? They were short. It was like opening oh, up a fortune cookie, and you got that little tidbit. So I would open up Proverbs, and I'd look at two lines. Ooh, that's a cool saying. And, you know, as a kid, I thought I was serious on my journey with God. So I got a little notebook. And every time I came across a wise saying in the book of Proverbs, let me write that down. That might be handy. Let me write it down so I remember it. Okay? And I treated the Bible, I treated the book of Proverbs like a fortune cookie. Because maybe, maybe, okay, let me hang on to this. You ever keep a fortune cookie thing? Yeah? Because life is so crummy. After the cookie crumbles, you're like, okay, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to have a good day tomorrow with the work it says. We all want hope something more. Like and friends, when you hear wisdom from God, it brings hope. You know that. God's Word brings hope. Okay? So when you read through the book of Proverbs, it, it's not all like those fortune cookies. The first nine books, the first nine chapters, rather, in the book of Proverbs, they're actually speech poetry of Solomon that he's giving to his royal sons. He tells them to pursue God's wisdom, which is symbolized as an elegant woman. Right? Have you read through Proverbs? And you look at wisdom, and they talk about it as she, as this elegant woman. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the man and the woman's intimacy was violated by their failed search for wisdom when they ate the fruit. Their intimacy was violated, they were torn apart. And they started to hide. They were no longer working as equals together. And then we see in Proverbs that humans who reunite with God's wisdom become what Adam and Eve failed to be, wise human rulers. We were created to rule over all creation, to be good stewards and managers of everything that God has entrusted to us. So would you rely on, I don't know, uh, Chris Leto and Uncle Manny and my dad or myself to come up with the rules? Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to live for God. So you better do it this way. Oh, yeah, they look like visible leaders in the church. Let's follow them. No way, man. Like, I'm going to totally follow God all the way. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just hear a teaching that you like, or it jives with the life you want to have, so you follow that teaching. But is it true? Sometimes it's man's wisdom, using godly words, but it's man's wisdom. On the other side, we have God's truth, God's word, that we could rely on and depend on. Seek first God's kingdom, His rule, for when you wake up in the morning. Do you plan out your life? Or do you allow God to reveal the plan to you? Where are we going today, God? I'm showing up for work today, God. I want to walk with you, God, and I know you're walking with me. And I want to hang on to your teaching, so teach me your words. Teach me your way. Help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. And I'm going to stick with you. Or... Thanks for waking me up today, God. I got some work to do. I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't want to bother you. You're a busy God, and other people need your help more than I do. And you'd be wise in your own eyes. Humans who reunite with God's wisdom become wise human rulers. Now, we are all responsible for the life that God has blessed us with. We are not responsible for anybody else's life. You can't change other people. Everybody makes their own choices. Everybody makes their own choices. We all wake up and we're all given a choice every day. And God gives you freedom to make that choice. Don't let anybody else coerce you into making a choice to please them. You need to make that choice for yourself before God. Eh? but what if I make the wrong choice <laughs> what if I make the wrong choice when you don't know when you're unsure do what Solomon did I'm unprepared I'm not sure how to do this I seek you God for your wisdom and your knowledge and your guidance So Solomon did and then what did God do the wisdom of God came upon Solomon. Did he still make bad choices? Sure. When he started to act wise in his own eyes. Sometimes I think we become Christian and we think, well, I got God now. So anything I do is going to be right. You're still going to make bad choices. I mean, God's wisdom is there to guide us. Right? But aren't we listening? It's a weekly thing, a daily thing, really, in my house. I have the boys at home, and you, they know what needs to be done. So first things first, you have a routine. You wake up, you make your bed, you change your clothes, you have your breakfast, you brush your teeth. First things first, you fold your pajamas. They all have their duties. First things first. So when they wake up in the morning, good morning, daddy, good morning, I'm like good morning boys, let's go have breakfast. Okay, and they start going up in their pajamas. I'm like, wait, first things first. So I'm just laying down the rule that's already there. I'm just reminding them of something we've all agreed on. And they know, okay, this is how we're supposed to do things. In the same way, God's given us ways to live. He's given us guidelines and parameters so that we can stay on the path and do the things that He wants done, so that we can hear His voice, so that we could walk in obedience, so that we could stay on the path that He put before us. And anything apart from that, we will know, because it's not what God has set out before us. It's looking left and right at other things of this world. So it's not only in the morning when you wake up and you have a choice. It's every step you take throughout the day. Choices are to be made. Will I stay on the path that God puts before me and walk in obedience to His will? Or am I going to look left and right and take a bunch of detours? It's a choice. Just like Eve, she was deceived. Sometimes we will be deceived as well. So we might go off course. Adam wasn't deceived. He willfully chose to disobey. Sometimes, I, I believe, many of us willfully disobey. Right? We willfully disobey, right? Yeah? Come on, let's call it out for what it is. Don't hide. Okay? We're down family here. You don't hide. Every day we disobey. Every day we disobey. Every day we make a poor decision. All right? And God still loves us. And His Word doesn't leave us. His truth is still there to guide us. Are we listening? That's it. Are we listening? Sometimes I think we take our life, and we think our life is so important, that we make it all about us. Oh no, I, I cheated on my diet. I cheated. I'm a horrible person. I cheat And then you get down on yourself. Will God forgive me for this? Because I know I willfully took that chocolate cake. And we make... Do you think God really cares that you took the chocolate cake? (laughs) You know, and we, we take God's will and try to apply something in our life, and we make it all about us, but really it should work the other way. That our whole life should be everything about God, that we're meant to allow God's life to radiate from our life, and He's the one that plants Himself, His Spirit in us. To reveal himself to other people around us. Stop making it about you. Life is not about you. Your life is not your own. Did you know that? Your life belongs to God. It came from God. So we live for God. Amen? It's a lot of centers. we think you for the center of the universe. Proverbs. When we embrace lady wisdom, we are taking hold of a tree of life. Lesser are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life. To those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast will be blessed. This is wisdom. Every day we all stand before the tree with our own choice to make. And Solomon encourages us to choose wisdom and life. So that's a book of problems. Let's look at Ecclesiastes. This is a really cool book, too. I don't know why I gravitated to this book as well as a kid. There's a time for this, a time for that. Remember that passage in the Bible? you find that in Ecclesiastes. And it's just like this reflection on life. Now, Ecclesiastes is more like Solomon at the end of his life, looking back at the journey that he had traveled with God. Okay. The theme here is life is heaven, heaven. That's a Hebrew word for life is vapor, like a mist in the air. It's unpredictable and it's uncontrollable. It's here right now and then it fades away. Okay. And there's so many themes here throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that talks about life under the sun. I always wondered, what is life under the sun? Okay? Life under the sun is life out of the garden. Remember when Adam and Eve left the garden, they were made to toil and labor and work the land. All right, They had to do things on their own, and that's what we're doing here in this world. We have a physical life here that we still need to live in this world, but we are not of the world when we believe in God. We are in the world, but not of the world. So all these things talked about this life under the sun or life out of the garden. It's confusing and it's difficult. Agreed? Life is confusing. There is so much chaos going on. We could look good on the outside, but when we lie down at night and we're left with our thoughts, it could be confusing. But I thought God wants us to live like that. Why is everything looking like this? I followed God today. Why do I have to suffer this? What do you you mean God wants me to give up my life? I thought He saved my life. For what? You know, And you start to try to make sense of everything. And we start to rely on our own understanding, instead of trusting in God's truth, His revealed truth, through His Word. Now, I know I'm starting to, like, kind of grasp at all these different things. But that's what life looks like. We're grasping. We're trying to make sense of things. We're looking for purpose. Okay. In Ecclesiastes, it says that even when we live by God's wisdom, life can be full of disappointments. Eventually leading to the greatest disappointment, our own death. Okay? You can be here today. Enjoy today, invest in today, because right now, today is all you have. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know that when you walk out of this building that there is going to be another minute for you we make the most of every opportunity that we have to live for God, to live in obedience with God. I mean, we talk about urgency, right? Living life with God, it's an urgent thing. When we're proclaiming God's kingdom, there's an urgency so that more people can come to know God, and God can save them too, okay? There's an urgency when we share the gospel, <coughs> right? Don't think, okay, you know what? I heard a good message. I'm going to sit down here today. And maybe tomorrow i will share it with somebody know, yeah? or God moves on your heart and he says listen call this person they are lonely they need help right now I want you to reach out to them and something is telling you I have to call them but I don't want to I have to call them but I don't want to and God wants to use you but there's no urgency <laughs> but I don't want to God says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you need to give up your life, take up your cross, and give up your life. Let me lead it. Well, I don't want to. I want to tomorrow, because, you know, tomorrow I have more time. But today, I'm not willing to sacrifice anything. You all have those choices to make day by day, moment by moment. Are you going to live for God Today? or put it off till tomorrow. We should strive to live by wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Now all this has been heard. This is at the close of the Ecclesiastes. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. This is a very sobering verse that I want you to just stare at and let it look at you right now. No matter what you think you've gotten away with, everything, even the hidden things, we need to stand before God and it will be judged whether good or bad. Don't take life so lightly Don't just try to enjoy life all the time and live irresponsibly. Live with a sense of purpose. Live with some direction. Live with some spiritual dignity, Don't you want to look back at your life knowing that you just kept seeking after God? You might have screwed up, but you're still seeking God. You didn't look at other things. Life gets crappy, but you're happy because God's still with you. Doesn't matter how much I accomplish in life. I don't need the letters behind my name. I don't even know what they are. MD, PhD, (laughs) ABC. What does it matter? We try to build up our kingdom here on earth, but it's our kingdom. And we do that with our own wisdom sometimes. Sometimes when we rely on God, He'll give you what you need to accomplish what He wants you to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't have to try and come up with it. God says, I'm sending you here, and here's everything that you need so that I will be successful there. So that God will be successful there. Life is heaven. I could be gone tomorrow and not leave anything behind for my children or my wife. Because I'm not a rich man, you know? I haven't accomplished very much in the eyes of the world. But if the one thing I could leave my children is the knowledge of who God is, my life has been lived to its fullest and to its greatest purpose to reveal God to my children. I could die in my deathbed a happy man. Trusting them into the hands of the Lord because my children will know the Lord. Let's go to the... Uh, Sorry, I skipped over the whole section here in Proverbs. We're talking about the fear of the Lord. If I could instill the fear of the Lord in my children. Let's go to our sidebar here. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 1. This reverential awe, and admiring, submissive fear is foundational for all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. While the unbeliever may make statements about life and truth, he does not have true or ultimate knowledge, until he is in a redemptive relationship of reverential awe with God, it's all about relationship with God, friends. You can study the Bible, learn all these things about God, but until you step into true relationship with them, it's worthless. Okay. Note the progression that we see in Proverbs chapter one. Go for this. For gaining wisdom and instruction, these are why Solomon had these Proverbs put in this book. For gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, teaching about God. Verse 3, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. This is where we're learning about God. Proverbs are good for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. In this place, this is where we have relationship and we start to know God. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. It says in verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this is imitating God's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we think, what do I need to do to get the fear of the Lord? Right? It's an exchange. Okay, when you go to Walmart, and you see something you really want up on that shelf. what do you have to do in order to get that item? You have to exchange some currency in order to get that item. When we want to have the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God, you know what has to happen? There needs to be an exchange. His truth, His wisdom, and His life is so much more valuable than my own life I'm getting the good deal. I'll give up my life so that I could have that. But I have to give up my life. There has to be an exchange. It's not a free ride as we think. There's nothing we have to do. Let's just make the exchange. Let's go to the book of Song of Songs. Have you ever read through the Song of Songs? No? If you're looking for a good read, I want you to open it up tonight. It's full of this imagery and all these wonderful poems. It's like, a, it is a song. It's poetry, okay? It's a love poem between a man and a woman. A lot of people think that it's Solomon that wrote the book, but it's a woman's voice in the book. Okay, based on the wisdom and the teachings of Solomon. In Proverbs, humanity's pursuit of wisdom was portrayed with symbolism by a man pursuing a woman in a garden. Okay? But in this song, the Song of Songs, it is a woman who is searching and longing for her lover. So in Proverbs, the man is seeking wisdom. But here, it's wisdom seeking the man, in the garden. Now this book, it might make you a little uncomfortable. Because it, it talks a lot about, this. there's a lot of raciness, there's a lot of sexuality, there's a lot of physical affection, there's a lot of weird things, you know, like, they stop to just look at each other. And as and husband and wife, I'm going to use Jelly and Ara as an example, Jelly looks at Aura. Wow, your hair is like a horse's mane. Your legs are like the bricks of the walls of Jerusalem. <laughs> like beard <style. laughs> And then she turns to him and says, Wow, your skin is green like aloe leaves to me. It's so smooth, <laughs> you know? And that's what it, it sounds like in the book. Now, of course, it's not literal. But it forces you, in his poetry, in the Hebrew writings, look closely to the words. What is behind those words? What are they trying to say? Your legs are strong, I could count on you. Your hair covers you and you're full of life. You know? You have to look behind the words. So it is kind of a riddle. If you read it, just to read it, it makes for a really good novel. Okay? But if you read it, you don't understand what it's saying this is where we need God's wisdom to reveal to us and there's all this back and forth that's going on in the song lady wisdom is pursuing us so that we can have life essentially that's what it is the woman is searching and seeking for the one she loves lady wisdom is seeking for us with the purpose that we can have life the poem talks about how this lady's love is more powerful than death itself. This lady's love is more powerful than death itself. I would want that kind of woman to find me, to have that on my side, on my team. The song works here on two levels. It is celebrating the human desire for intimacy, because we all have that. We all have, we're all built with the human desire for intimacy. Man was not meant to be alone, right? And God put man and woman together and said, it is good, and we are created for that community, that intimacy. So that's one. On the second level, it's saying that that desire points to humanity's ultimate purpose, to be united with God and His wisdom, so we can rule united with each other. If we're all out there living for ourselves, trying to build our own kingdom, trying to make life work out for us, we have totally missed the point. We have totally missed the point. Remember, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes so much about how we as believers, as a church, need to love one another, serve one another. You know, we we need to forgive each other and live in harmony with each other. You know, um, there's this otherness, that God is trying to push onto us because we are a selfish people. We need to start being considerate of the other. You know, I hate in church when everybody's vying for a position so that they could be important and significant and show everybody else, look at me, I'm a leader in the church. Who cares? Who cares? No, we have one leader in our church. We have one leader in our church. We are the body of Christ. His church is called the body of Christ. Who is the head of that body? Jesus Christ. He is our head and we are all united under Him. So together, under Christ, we can rule the way God wants us to rule. United with His wisdom and His purposes. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ will not live in us if we keep choosing to be wise in our own lives. We need to rely on God, the very way that Jesus relied on God. Are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christ follower today? Then let us follow Christ's example and the way that He lived. God is still pursuing you because He wants you to have life. Lady Wisdom is pursuing you so you can be united and know God's truth, and his, his truth brings life to us, friends. It is a tree of life. When we eat from His Word, we eat a tree of life. Wisdom comes, and we're united with God. I thank God for Solomon's life. As little as we know about it, God used Solomon in a very mighty and powerful way in my own life. I pray that God would continue to reveal Himself to you through His Word as you seek Him. But you have to seek Him to see And even when you're not looking, guess what? He's still pursuing you. That's the kind of God we have. Our God, He never gives up. Our God, He never fails. And our God is patient, with us so that we can come and be united with him.